Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation in chapter number 20, the book of Revelation in chapter number 20. We are continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom, still at the very beginning of it. The Millennial Kingdom is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And as we've been progressing forward and just describing what is happening in concerns of prophecy, we understand that the next event on God's calendar is the rapture, the calling away, where Jesus Christ will show up in the air and then the dead in Christ shall rise first. Us that are alive and remain shall be called up together with him up in the clouds. We're going to be raptured away. And that remember that there is no prophecy. There are no more signs, no more wonders, no more planetary alignments, no more wars, no more celebrities, no more present. Nothing has to be set in order. Nothing has to be fulfilled before the rapture can happen. The rapture could happen at any time after that the rapture is going to be a small space of time until the antichrist raises up and he makes a formal peace agreement with israel to rebuild the temple that is the official start of the tribulation period and remember the whole purpose of the tribulation period is not to work with the gentile world but to bring the hebrew people back to god's self and that the whole purpose of the tribulation now many gentiles will get saved during that time but the main thrust and the main emphasis of that time is that God is working with the Hebrew people to bring them to himself just as he promised and then the millennial kingdom is going to start and the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ comes from heaven with his whole armies of heaven defeats Satan and the Armageddon he is going to establish what is called the millennial kingdom the thousand year reign of Christ and when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth it will be physical it will be literal it will be bodily it will be Jesus Christ himself on this earth ruling and reigning for a thousand years and as we begin into the millennial kingdom proper there are certain aspects of the millennial kingdom that we need to understand that we need to un- uh, have a working knowledge of and one of them is the prisoner of the millennial kingdom what about satan what is satan's place we know that satan is a real creature he is a real being so if you don't mind take your copy of the word of god and turn with me to the book of revelation chapter 20 the book of revelation chapter 20 and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number one revelation 20 in verse one the word of god says this And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on that on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed 
a little season. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 20? The book of Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me in verse number 2, the title that is given for Satan in verse number 2, that old serpent. That old serpent. And with the Lord's help, we're going to do almost like a character study on Satan, on who he is, that old serpent. And maybe if you're in the habit of subtitling things, we do have a subtitle. We could call it the prisoner of the kingdom. The prisoner of the kingdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the great privilege to be in your house today. Thank you that we could come and we could pray and talk to a real God. Thank you that you are a God who reveals what your Bible says and that we could follow it and that we could obey. Thank you so much that you have given us forgiveness of sins full, free, and forever because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we also know that you've told us that we have an enemy. We have the enemy of the flesh. We have the enemy of the world. We also have the enemy of the devil. And that we're not to be ignorant of his devices. We need to understand what he is, what he could do, how he moves. And that we understand that you are greater than anything Satan can ever do or be or possess. Help us to be looking at you this whole time. Seeing whom you are as we learn about this great enemy. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, as we examine the book of Revelation, we can see that Satan plays a pretty big part in the end of time. We know during the period of the tribulation that he goes to war with heaven. He tries to deceive all the people, tries to deceive the Jewish people, but he fails. He tries to set up religion to worship him, and he ends up failing. And now he, at the end of time, is being judged for a thousand years. But before we go into that, let's explore a little bit about who Satan is. Let's see who this creature is that we've heard so much about that maybe some of us have a fear over. Let's see a little bit more. Where did he come from? How did he come to be? Let's explain from the Bible all of these things. The very first thing I would like to show you is Satan's pride. Satan's pride. And if you don't mind, let's explore more about who this creature is. And let's start in the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 28. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. Usually when we do character studies, we are examining the life of a human. And we're examining their entire life. And we know that everyone's life preaches a message. That there's one principle as you look at someone's life that you could draw from, that you could learn from. Well, we're going to put the same case for Satan, that we could do a character study of his life, who, by the way, he is a real live being, and we could examine his life and still get a message from the life of Satan. If you don't mind, notice with me in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to see, first of all, Satan's pride. Notice with me Ezekiel 28, notice with me in verse number 12, Ezekiel 28 Ezekiel 28, and notice with me starting at verse 12. The Bible says this, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, the full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, 
topaz and the diamond, the burial, the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the gold and the carbuckle and gold and workmanship of thy tiberates and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Now what is happening in this passage here is that God, first of all, starts addressing the king of Tyre, who was a real person at the time. And that God is doing like a dual prophecy that at the same time as he starts talking about the king of Tyre, he kind of switches past him and begins to talk about who Satan himself is. And there are some things that we can learn about Satan immediately in this passage. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 13. Thou, speaking about Satan... Uh, has been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, with this, <laughs> in verse number 13 at the very end, notice this, that thy pipes were prepared in the day that thou wast created. So here's some things that we learn about Satan right away. Is that first of all, he was created. So if he was created, that seems to come to pass the understanding he had a creator. Guess who created Satan? God did. And so as we're examining who Satan is and his power, sometimes people have in mind that there is an eternal struggle of good and evil. The yin and the yang. They have an idea that there's a duality. The idea of a duality is a point of view, a philosophy, that good and evil are equal. And that these... Equal things must be in balance. They have to be fighting. That, that the good cancels out the bad. The bad cancels out the good. But that is not so. God is the creator of all. Including Satan. Satan was a created being. And who has more power? The creation or the creator? Well the creator would have more power. God is more powerful than Satan. Satan is inferior to God. He was created by God. By the way let me also put a time of frame in here. That it says that thou was in the beginning. Even Jesus talks about in the beginning. The beginning of what? Well the beginning of time. When was time started by the way? When God created the heavens and the earth. God created the world in six literal days. That he created light, he created earth, he created the skies. Day four, he created the celestial body, sun, moon, and stars. Satan himself was created probably on day number four. Adam was created on day number six. So guess what? Satan is only two days older, literal days, two literal days older than Adam. And that Satan was not fallen the time of God's creation. How do we know that? Because on day number six, God looked at all creation and said it was very good. He wouldn't say it was very good if Satan was running around going crazy. That God had his creation and it was perfect. There was no problems with any of his creation, including the created angels and created Satan. And so we know that he was created. In fact, notice with me again in the beginning of verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So guess what? Satan was in the garden of Eden. We know that the garden of Eden was created after Adam was made. And so Satan was there in the Garden of Eden. He saw the beauty. He saw the things that was there. Now, what happens in the rest of verse number 13 is it describes the beauty of Satan. 
Now, sometimes we get in our mind that Satan, because of mythologies, that Satan is this red guy with a pitchfork and horns and tail. But that's not what he looks like at all. Remember, Satan is a very special angel. And he has created, if you can imagine in your mind, a musical instrument. It says, thy tabrets and thy pipes. He was created as a musical instrument. He was created with precious gems all throughout him. He was a very beautiful creature. He was made to be a musical creation. In fact, many people believe that he was the song leader of all of heaven. And that his job was to direct all of the praises of God's creation to God and him being the choir director. Well, you know, the problem is with anyone who's in a position that sometimes they say, well, everyone's looking at me, looking at me. I must be the one that is great. I must be the one that is great. And it began to work on Satan's pride. Notice with me in verse number 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down the mist of the stones of fire. Notice this. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So when God created Satan, he was perfect. It was not until iniquity hit his life that he became not perfect. What was his iniquity? What was his problem? Notice with me. As we continue on in verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise. They have filled the mist of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee old covering cherub. In the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up. Why? Because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. By the reason of thy brightness. And I will cast thee to the ground, and I will lay thee before kings that they may behold them. So why was it that Satan fell? Well, it was because of pride. The reason why Satan had sin in his life was because of pride. And what was the three areas of pride that affected him, that gave him, as in our vernacular, gave him the big head? Well, there were three things specific about Satan. Is it was his beauty, his intelligence... And his money, his finances. So, because of how beautiful he was. These were things that were hallmarks of Satan. As the Bible describes in various places. So, what were the three areas that caused him to have pride? Well, his beauty. Is it perhaps that there's people today that could get prideful about their looks? And how beautiful they are? How wonderful they are? We know that it is a source of pride for people. What about this? The intelligence. Is there some people who get a big source of pride because of how smart they are? They may think that they know more than everyone else. And they carry themselves that they're better than everyone else. Could it be that that could be a source of pride? And then his finance. He was made a musical instrument. His skill. But he was also made out of... Out of uh, uh, Gold and gems and all kinds of precious things. Could it be that there are some people today that could have pride because of their wealth, their finance, their possessions? Well, absolutely. Well, Satan had all three. And after a while, we don't know how long, it could be about a hundred years, that Satan served as the choir director for all of creation. He could have been perfect without sin, 
for up to a hundred years. A hundred years of the Garden of Eden being perfect. A hundred years of no sin. And remember, before man sinned, the first time sin entered in the universe was not by Adam and Eve. It was by Satan and his pride. And that Satan was the first one to fall. Satan was the first one to sin. Satan was the first one to have rebellion towards God. And said I can do what I want. I deserve the praise. I deserve the glory. I'm the one doing all the work. And because of his position. His finances. His intelligence. All of those things. He thought he could be the greatest. In fact, the Bible goes on with that same idea in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, where it describes more of who Satan is. Isaiah and chapter 14. So as we're turning, we're learning a character study. We're seeing, first of all, Satan's pride. That Satan, he was created by God at the beginning. He was created perfect. He was in the Garden of Eden. And because of his beauty, his finance, his intelligence, he developed a lot of pride. And after a while, he thought that he was the greatest instead of God being the greatest. And so let's observe what happens in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, and notice with me in verse 12. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, the word of God says this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, notice this, here's the I wills. Notice this out of pride, the different things that Satan says, I will, I will, I will. Notice in verse 13, for thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The place where Satan was is he got so egotistical, so full of pride, so full of himself that said, guess what? I should be God. The problem was is that the position was not open. And he lost out because he is not as powerful as God. It wasn't even close. And so when he got to the place and said, everyone should worship me. I should be as God. People should acknowledge me and how great I am. He was cast aside. And because of his pride, he fell. Notice in verse 15. Yet thou shall be brought down to hell and to the sides of the pit. So remember, what is in Satan's future? Oh, let me pause really quick. Satan is not in hell right now. He is not in hell. He is not the ruler of hell. That is his eternal damnation. That is his punishment. He is going to hell not to rule hell. He is going to hell to be punished forever and ever and ever. So if you're going to put it this way, who is in charge of hell? God is. God made that prison to, work, to punish Satan and his angels and his demons that is why hell was created and god is the one who owns hell god is the one who created hell satan does not want to go there but let me remind you he is not there now satan has never been in hell he is when he fell from heaven there's only one other place to go in this life and that's here on earth and guess who runs this place god is still god 
But Satan is down here trying to run his own schemes. He's trying to get his own powers. He is still trying to stir up rebellion towards God. He's on this earth now. But one day in the future, he is going to be cast into hell. Notice with me in verse 16. And they shall see, they, excuse me, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble? And that did shake the nations. This is speaking about the time right before the millennial kingdom. Where the angel is going to drag Satan by a chain. And he's going to drag him and throw him to hell. And all of us are going to look down at him and say, this is the guy? This is the one that's caused all the... This is it? I thought he'd be taller. We would expect more out of this. You understand? Satan is small compared to God. And when God is ordering Satan, when you see how big God is and how itty bitty Satan is, you say, this is it? This is it? And we'll realize that God was a big God the whole time. It was Satan that is small. It is Satan that is tiny. Satan is no match whatsoever for God. And he himself will be cast into hell. Why? It's all because of his pride. He sinned against God. He thought he could be God and the job was not available. And so that's the background of Satan. We see Satan's pride. Let's switch subjects as we explore more about Satan. And let's see Satan's power. Let's look at Satan's power. Now, one thing that you have to understand is that Satan does not have unlimited power. He is Limited. Satan cannot do everything he wants. He is limited to what God allows him to do, by the way, in our life. So I want you to think of something. Satan is not God. We, done, we understand that. That means he is not omniscient. What does word omniscient means? Omniscient means all-knowing. You know that God does not know every, or that Satan does not know everything. God knows everything, but Satan doesn't know everything. Satan does not know when Jesus Christ is coming back. Think about that. He's waiting just like we are for different reasons. He does not know when Jesus is coming back. Here's another thing. God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere at once. You know something about Satan? He is in a physical body. Now, it could turn different forms. But Satan is limited to one place at one time. He is not everywhere at once. God is. And the other idea of omnipresent is that God is in every point present tense at once. That means that God is in all time at once. Satan is not. That means Satan has to go through life and time the same way we do one day at a time. Satan is pretty wise. He's been on this earth for 6,000 years. And he gained some knowledge after living for 6,000 years. But Satan goes through time just like we do. He cannot go back and forth in time. He is stuck in the same time stream that you and I are. Now that makes him pretty limited, isn't it? That he does not know what the future holds. Now, he's wise enough to guess and follow patterns. But he doesn't know what the future holds. He does not know when Jesus Christ is coming back. You understand that Satan is not as big and as scary and as powerful as we sometimes imagine would be. Now, I'm not saying that he's not without power. He has power. And you cannot face him alone. You cannot. But Satan 
is limited and he is very small compared to God. But he does have some power. Turn with me if you don't mind and let's explore this in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at a couple different passages in 2 Corinthians as it describes Satan and his power. But first of all, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul takes some time as he's trying to encourage the church of Corinth to be obedient to the Lord. And part of it is he does is he tries to remind them about what Satan is trying to do in this world. And so let's look and see as the Apostle Paul talks to this church to remind them of how limited what Satan is doing, but that we're not supposed to be ignorant of what Satan is doing. Notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and notice with me in verse number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, ah, let's get a running start. Let's hit verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have resounded. Uh, renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not." Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. We understand there's a war going on, and it is war for the souls of man. Now, Satan is still limited, but he has power, and he has a lot of influence and control. And so what Satan does is he blinds people. Unless people would see that there's a God up in heaven and they would get saved. So what Satan does is he manipulates. He does everything he can to make people not see that Jesus is the true God in heaven. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the one to forgive of sins. That's why people have so many beliefs and philosophies. People say they're an atheist. Why? Because they're blinded to who Christ is. People say they're Mormon. Why? Because they're blinded about who the Christ of the Bible is. People say they believe in the sun is our power. The moon is our power. Why? Because Satan has blinded people so they could not see that Jesus is the God. That's why we have responsibility to give our gospel out to everyone. Because if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are not saved. They are the ones that need to be shown who Jesus is so their eyes are open. That's Jesus. Why didn't I see him earlier? And they accept him as Savior. But that's what Satan is doing is he's trying to blind as many people as possible and he's trying to keep us from going to tell other people unless he loses control. Unless he, he has more and more people turn to him. So he is a liar. He is the God of this world. The Bible says that. He is the God of this world. And this world is doing everything it can to manipulate and to hide the gospel from people. Notice, if you don't mind, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which is right across the page from me. Hopefully it's nearby for you too. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, notice with me in verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, notice this. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
You understand what we have to do is we have to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. What should we... We understand Satan's at work and how he's at work. In this specific context, one of the things he's saying about we're not ignorant of his devices of is the idea of forgiving people. You understand what happens when we don't forgive people? Bitterness happens. A wedge happens. You know what Satan loves to do is he loves to walk by. He'll walk by the same door a thousand times till he sees it cracks open. Then he'll put a wedge and start hammering it in to make that wedge wider and wider and wider. And how Satan normally works is that Satan wants to put a gap between you and authority. That's how he works first. If he could put a wedge between you and biblical authority, you will not be obedient or submissive to a biblical authority. The whole thing falls apart. You know what Satan wants to do? Is that Satan wants to highlight something wrong with your pastor. And by the way, if you look long enough, you could find something wrong with your pastor. If you can't find anything, come see me and I'll tell you some things that are wrong with me. But you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to insinuate that. He wants to blow it out of proportion. He wants to make it worse and tell the only thing that you see about your pastor in this illustration is the thing wrong with him. You know what Satan wants to do between husbands and wives? He wants to get the wives and husbands so aggravated with each other and so mad. That's why the Bible says, husbands, be not bitter against your wives. You know why he puts husbands, be not bitter against your wives? Because it's easy to get bitter with our wives. You know what that, that phrase actually carries the idea of? That men, ladies, you'll like this, it is your responsibility to apologize first. Even if you're not wrong. It's your job to make peace in the house. It is your job to go over to make sure that you don't have anything against the wife. I can't believe she never apologizes to me. She's the one that's wrong. Satan wants that. He wants to put a wedge between a husband and a wife. He wants to make it so the wife just looks at her husband as a failure. Or he messes up. And I don't have to listen to him because he's always wrong. She wants, Satan wants to put a wedge in between that. He wants to do something between children and their parents. You understand children? Your parents are human. That means they're not perfect. They will mess up. And sometimes they'll give a bad call. I know it may surprise you. But every once in a while your parents may not give something that you agree to. And you know what Satan wants to do is he wants to put a wedge in between you and the parents and work. The Bible says we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. We need to understand what Satan is trying to do. And that if you have an ought against somebody, it is because your flesh, first of all, started with the ought. You didn't forgive. And Satan is doing everything he can to pound that wedge to make it worse and worse and worse. Be not ignorant of Satan's devices. Satan wants to ruin homes. He wants to ruin churches. And remember, a church cannot be conquered from without. It implodes from within. That's where you get silliness. And that's what Paul has dealt with. With the Corinthian church. Remember in the first Corinthians chapter 1. They had divisions. They had the four groups. They had I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And I'm of Christ. And so the first one was I'm of Paul. I'm of the founder of the church. We ain't ever done it uh, any way different. This is how we've always done it. We're not going to change now. 
You got people in church that do that. Well, this is how we're always going to do it. Then you got, I'm of Apollos. Well, my favorite internet preacher says to do it this way. Well, my favorite evangelist, my favorite preacher says we need to do it this way. And we need to listen to this person. Well, he's not the pastor of the church. Then you got, I'm of Cephas. Well, this is what they do in that other church. Most of those people that said they self-followed Cephas carries the idea that they want to obey the law. They wanted to obey the, uh, what this church says. Well, this church knows what they're doing. We want to do it this way. And many of those people inside of Corinth had never been to the church of Jerusalem. But that's what the church down there does. And then you have the worst group, the ones I'm of Christ. That's the super spiritual group that says, I'm wrong and you're I'm right and you're wrong and that I'm better than you because I know what I'm doing and all four of those groups were at war with each other in the church of Corinth and Paul writes a letter trying to cure that and trying to fix that and when it comes to 2 Corinthians you have two of those groups that have combined together to oppose Paul and Satan is saying do not be ignorant of Satan's device. That God is not the God of division. He wants unity. He wants to put it. This is nonsense. And how many churches do we know that is divided? And it's because it started off with something small. And someone pounded in. I heard of a church once that broke up because of pickles. They had a fight between whether they should have spears or slices. Now, we understand there were some other underlying problems, but that's what they blamed it under. But you know something as simple as that? Satan loves to blow up churches. He loves to blow up houses. He, we're not to be ignorant of his devices. This is how Satan works. We have to understand this is what Satan is trying to do. And that we need to look past him and look at God. You understand that if we're all looking towards God, we're heading to the same spot. We're moving towards him. We're moving together. The Answer is always to keep your eyes on Jesus. Satan wants to put our eyes on something else. And it causes division. It causes fractures. It causes us where we don't look at authority. Biblical authority. And submit to biblical authority. It is an authority problem. Do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. You could read 2 Corinthians and see. That's exactly what he's saying. Just to back it up. Notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we see more of what Satan is doing. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Now we're looking at Satan's power. We understand he does have power. But his power is mostly subtlety. That if Satan came in here today. And with, his, with the image of the mythological Satan of a pitchfork. And, and uh, red and horns and tail. And came in here and says the Bible is wrong. We would have enough sense to go throw him off. Throw him out of here right. We know he's wrong. Forget that. But Satan knows he can't take the direct approach. So he's got to do it subtly. He's got to do it trickily. He's got to do it slyly. This is why we have to guard what people say. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. How does Satan work? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 13. For such are false apostles. Deceitful workers. Transforming themselves into the apostles of God. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing. It is no great thing, I say. It is no great thing if his ministers, whose ministers? Satan's ministers. If his ministers be also transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according 
to their works. You know how Satan works? Is that Satan has his agents look just like Bible teachers, Bible scholars, Bible ministers. And they will try to deceive good folks into believing that the Bible is not true. That the Bible is not correct. And try to steer them away from God. Now the problem is. Is that these guys are really nice. They have a great smile. They have a lot of teeth too some of them. That they're, they're the nicest people you meet. They'll give you the shirt off their back. And you know how hard it is to preach against nice people. And to point out and say they're wrong. It's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. But people say but they're so nice. I'm going to listen to them because they smile really big. They hear, give me the things I like to say. They make me feel good about myself. And that's what Satan does is he tries to put all kinds of people in positions of biblical teachers, biblical authorities, biblical pastors, biblical whatever, and trying to say the Bible's not really correct. Well, there's an error here. Now, remember, if, G, if Satan came in here and said the Bible was wrong, or if someone else came in here and started screaming the Bible is wrong, we'd toss him out. But if a Bible scholar comes up here and says, well, the Bible really doesn't mean that. Well, the Bible should have truly said this. And they start explaining away the Bible, people will believe them. And their faith in the word of God will erode away. And that's what Satan likes to do. Is he likes to deceive them. He wants to separate people from the Bible. And this is Satan's power. Is that he is subtle. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. And he wants to deceive even us. So we've understand as we've explored Satan. We've seen where he came from. And we see Satan's pride. We can see what Satan is doing in this present world. We can understand his power. But if you don't mind, as we see the character study of Satan, let's look at his prison. Turn with me back to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. The book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation, chapter 20, which we've already discussed, is the beginning of the millennial kingdom. In fact, in the first several verses, you'll see the phrase, a thousand years, a thousand years. Now, we've already discussed, when God says a thousand years, uh, seven, or seven times in six verses, how long do you think God means? A thousand years. That God is smart enough to say what he means and mean what he says. And so he explores and says this a thousand years, a thousand years. And this is the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Now, before the millennial kingdom starts, right after the tribulation, Saint Jesus comes back and he defeats all the armies of heaven. And then the very next thing in verse number uh, one of chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he lay a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So, what's going to happen is this, this angel's going to come down with permission of God. He is going to chain up Satan. He's going to lead him into the bottomless pit. We're all going to be there and say, This is it? This is the guy? This is the one that's caused all the problems? 
And then verse 3. And cast him, Satan, into the bottomless pit. And shut him up. And set a seal upon him. That he should deceive the nations no more. Till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season. Now there's a big thing here. That for 1,000 years Satan is going to be removed from this earth. For 1,000 years there is no Satan on earth influencing the world. No more Satan who is the God of this universe blinding the eyes. No more Satan who's trying to put a wedge between people and authority. No more Satan to put in false ministers to try to fool people that Jesus is not real. The Bible is not correct. For 1,000 years, you won't have any of that. 1,000 years, people will know Jesus is real because they could see him. For 1,000 years, people will know the Bible is true. For 1,000 years, we're going to have a perfect government run by a perfect king. For 1,000 years, there's not going to be this wedge being constantly put in. However, for 1,000 years, there are going to be people who are born in the millennial kingdom. We'll talk more about the people of it later. But there are going to be people born with natural bodies, not redeemed bodies. There are going to be people who survive the tribulation and they're going to have babies. And those babies are going to grow up and every single one of them are going to have to get saved just like you and I did. They're going to have to come to the place where they realize that they are sinners. Think of that. In a perfect government, they're still going to be sinners. And they're going to realize that because of their sin, they deserve punishment. And that they have to, that Jesus died for them. And they must personally accept Jesus to be their savior for themselves. And for 1,000 years, people are going to get saved. But also for 1,000 years, there are going to be people who are not going to get saved. And they're going to refuse to submit to King Jesus. Can you imagine that? A perfect government run by a perfect God, perfect king... And there are still going to be people who are going to rebel against his rule. And you know what this time teaches us? You can't blame Satan for your sin. There's an old phrase that the devil made me do it. Let me tell you, the devil didn't make you do it. Your own sinful flesh is nasty and wicked. And what's going to happen during the millennial kingdom? It is proof that man is a failure no matter what area economy you place them in we believe in something called dispensationalism what that means is that we believe that there's different economies different times different ways that god has worked with man but salvation has been the same all throughout them the very first one we had the dispensation of (coughs) of perfection of creation that in the garden of eden adam was perfect eve was perfect Perfect garden and only one rule. How would you like to live a life where there was only one rule? You could do whatever you want, just don't eat of this tree. Well, guess what? Even in a perfect place with one rule, man failed. After that came the dispensation of conscience. Where there's no law, the principle was is that you just do what you believe is right and try to do what's right. And guess what? Man failed. After that, you had the dispensation of government, that God established government to punish evildoers, and that if you do wrong, you'll get punished. And guess what? Man failed. After that came the time of law, where God said, here, fine, I'll give you all these laws. You obey these laws. In fact, let's just summarize to the Ten Commandments. Just keep these Ten Commandments. And guess what? Man failed. 
which brought us up to the time of grace where Jesus Christ has offered forgiveness of our sins full, free, and forever. And for all of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior, guess what? You don't have to sin anymore. You've been freed from the power of sin. You know the only reason why you sin today as a Christian? is because you want to. It is by your choice. And even saved, redeemed people, we're going to fail. And then you come to the millennial kingdom where there's no more Satan. There's a perfect king and a perfect government, perfect society. And you know what's going to happen? Man fails. It doesn't matter what situation you put man in. Man is a sinner and will sin. And he fails God. And today, you may want to try to appease your conscience by saying Satan made me do it. Or it was something else that forced me to sin. But let me tell you, the reason why you sin is because you wanted to sin. So when you tell that lie, I didn't do that. Satan didn't make you tell that lie. If someone says, I'm going to go get drunk. Satan didn't make you drunk. You understand? You sin because you're a sinner. You sin because you want to. That changes everything. Because if we blame Satan, we could feel better about ourselves. But if we realize that it's not Satan's fault why you sin, that you, it's your fault that you sinned, we realize that we need to get right with God. I need to get right with God because I have sinned. It's no one's fault but my own. I need to get right. And so as we come up, we've seen this character study of Satan. One of the things that I want you to come out of here knowing is that he is not as big as some people make him. He is small compared to God. And he has to answer to God and he will be punished by God. And Satan doesn't have power to make you do anything right now. You sin because you want to. And dear friend, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, let me tell you that you need to recognize, first of all, that you are a sinner. You are a sinner. And because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God. The good news is, friend, is that Jesus died for you and paid your price And that you must come to the place where you personally accept Jesus to be your Savior. And if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, it would be our great privilege to take the Bible. And to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that you would be going to heaven. And we would love that privilege. For those of you who are saved and you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. The principle I want to give to you today is that you sin because you want to. Your bad attitude is not because Satan made you have a bad attitude. Your hissy fit that you threw is not because Satan made you throw a hissy fit. It is because your flesh is in control. You're a sinner and you chose to sin. You chose to surrender yourself to sin instead of depend upon God to give you grace to help you through that. I want to tell you today that there's still hope. The idea is that I die daily. I die to my flesh's desires. I die to my ambitions. I die to my goals. I die to what I want to do. And you understand we all want to scream and holler and shake someone and get right. But we can't surrender to that. We have to say, God, I need your help. Because left to our own devices, we will continue to sin. We have to say, God, I need you 
fill me with your spirit. I need to depend upon you. I need help or I'm going to mess up. I need help or I'm going to throw a fit. I need help or I'm going to have a bad attitude. I need help or I'm going to fall into the same habit of sin over and over. I need Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.